Today on Focal Point, we're taking our weekly break for some one-on-one time with Pastor Mike Fabares. So pull up a chair for some loving wisdom about the sensitive subject of divorce on today's edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drury, and it's time to grapple with a tough listener question about marriage and the Bible. Now, you've all seen the statistics. It seems like divorce is just as common in marriage, even among believers. Well, today we're having a heart-to-heart chat about getting through the heartache of a collapsing marriage, and no matter what your marriage looks like, there's help and hope. Let's join Executive Director Jay Wharton inside the pastor's study for Ask Pastor Mike. Jay? Well, thanks, Dave. Pastor Mike, we have a question here on marriage. And actually, this listener writes, what does the Bible have to say about divorce? Well, Jay, of course, the Bible is very clear on divorce being a tragic problem and something that uh, is lamentable. God, as the Bible repeatedly says, is trying to have us succeed in our marriages, our relationship, which is a covenant relationship, a promise of fidelity and a promise of longevity. As Jesus put it in Matthew 19, so memorably, what God has joined together, don't let men separate. So, I mean, that's the ideal. And certainly God says, I mean, Malachi, as dramatically as you could put it, that he, he hates divorce. It's a terrible thing. It's never without pain and without consequence. And I don't think that's any surprise for any of our listeners. Pastor Mike, you mentioned Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce. But he also says in there that there is an allowance for divorce. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, again, it's a sad and tragic situation when it is allowed. He actually describes it as the hard-heartedness or the sinfulness of people when that is a necessity. And not that it's a necessity, but when it's even an option and when there's an allowance for it, because in that passage, it refers to the um, sexual sin of a partner in a covenant relationship who's obviously violating their marriage covenant. And there is the allowance at that point for the violated party to divorce. Along with in 1 Corinthians 7, you can read that text, and Paul is addressing the problem of a non-Christian who is married to a Christian and is fed up with it and says, I, won't, I don't want to live with you anymore. And the response of Scripture there is, well, then let him go. Uh, you're called to peace. In other words, if there's an unsalvageable relationship because the Christian is being so maligned and rejected by the non-Christian, then let your partner go. And so those are all tragic situations, and they're all filled with pain. They're never good situations. And uh, it's, like I said, lamentable when it happens. But if a partner has been wronged, maybe it's an infidelity, should that person automatically be seeking divorce? Or does the Bible tell us something different? Yeah, of course not. I mean, the picture of God's fidelity toward us when we're unfaithful, as it says there, as Paul writes to Timothy, and the whole Old Testament book of Hosea, you know, you've got here is this unfaithful spouse who was a prostitute by trade, and God's love going after that party that has violated the marriage covenant and restoring the relationship. God takes great pleasure in seeing broken relationships restored. And if we can restore a marriage, of course, that's what God would have us do, and it can become a trophy to His grace when it's successful. And certainly that is a difficult situation. There's a lot of pain, obviously, and it takes a long time to build that trust. What would you say to somebody that maybe is going through that right now? Well, I would definitely say even before any decisions are made, you should seek the counsel of a competent pastor or a 
mature Christian who knows God's word and knows the parameters of God's word to sit down and discuss this because there's so much emotion involved in a marriage relationship that I think we need to make sure that we do things properly and biblically and we respond in terms of God's truth and God's promises and that we don't just do whatever we feel and we don't just have people chiming in, you ought to drop this guy or you ought to divorce that girl. There needs to be a real level-headed biblical approach to looking at is there a way to salvage this relationship. And so I think biblical counseling is so important in this. A good godly Christian and uh, or a pastor or someone in your church that can help you sort this out because every case is complicated and there hasn't been one situation that I can think of that's been identical. They're all different. There's factors, there's issues, and there needs to be a good biblical approach to this, always seeking to restore the relationship if at all possible. Well, Pastor Mike, I'm sure there are people listening that have actually gone through a divorce and are not with their original spouse anymore. Certainly there's pain and grief. How would you counsel someone who has done that and moving forward in their Christian life? Right. Well, if there is a possibility, even though there may have been a divorce, you may look at the option and the possibility of restoration and reconciliation of that marriage. And it can happen. I've presided over some of those uh, marriages where someone had had a divorce and they're getting married again to their divorced spouse. And that can, again, be another trophy of God's grace. Sometimes that's not possible. Your ex-wife or ex-husband might be remarried, and there's no way to salvage that. And in that case, certainly we need to be moving on in the future. There's always going to be wreckage, and there's always going to be consequences, but we want to pick up the pieces wherever we're at, stop looking in the rearview mirror and constantly you know, beating yourself up over that. You've got to move forward, confessing whatever sin you need to confess and looking each day at what God would have you do in terms of your life and your relationships and everything else. So you know, there's a long series of things that would keep our eyes looking forward. The Bible gives us so much that we need to look at in terms of our present life and rarely has us uh, looking backwards and, and stumbling over something that may have happened that cannot be fixed at this point. But if it can be fixed, and that's where I think counseling is important, biblical counseling with a pastor or a mature Christian, to be able to say, what can I do to fix this? Is it fixable? Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. I recognize that there are so many, as you said, different situations that people have gone in and in troubles in their marriage and have gone through in divorce. But thank you for taking some time to just talk about a few of them. And we're going to continue on this topic with a message you gave called Taming the Detriments of Divorce from your Slaying the Family Dragons series. Looking at God's description for the family, what it's supposed to be, the ideal, what God expects in his blueprint for uh, godly Christian homes. So let's look at what the Bible has to say. And the first one is uh, a real caution that is found in, in a passage uh, that is very important about an emotion that is inexorably tied to divorce every time it happens. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'd like to start here because this is often a starting point for our emotional mix that we experience when something as sacred and profound and personal as our marriage has crumbled. It is a normal emotion. It is even a right emotion. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's, it's a required emotion in some situations. You can't be godly without it, but it is also a dangerous emotion. And it's one that Satan can easily use to become counterproductive as we try to deal with the devastation and detriments of divorce. The emotion that I'm discussing is found in verse 26. It is the emotion that we experience that is called anger. And the text says, in your anger, verse 26, do not sin. The text says, uh, uh, be angry, literally, uh, be angry, but, but 
in your anger, make sure you're not, you're not going to do something sinful. Reminds me of the uh, mom who came in to find uh, Johnny screaming at the top of his lungs as his little sister Susie had a tuft of his hair in her hand. And um, she comes in and, and obviously unpeels uh, Susie's fingers and, and says to Johnny, there, there now, Johnny, uh, Susie, she doesn't understand uh, that that hurts. And just, you know, you just go on about your playing. And before mom could even uh, get down the hall, she heard now Susie screaming at the top of her lungs. And as she returned to the playroom, she sees Johnny's hand clasped tightly in Susie's hair. And Johnny looks up to mommy and says, mommy, now she understands. <laughs> the problem with anger, especially when the profound hurt and pain and betrayal of divorce has taken place, is that we will use anger to uh, to be the fuel for things like uh, retaliation and revenge. Uh, I understand there's a time for arbitrators and mediators and even lawyers across the conference table to talk about equity and all of that, and I understand issues of justice, but we need to be careful that in the midst of a personal pain like divorce, we need to make sure that anger doesn't become a fuel for sinful things. Uh, much like David, who had the chance in many situations to run the knife or the spear or, or the dagger through Saul's heart. He constantly stood back, controlling his personal frustration at Saul, and stood back and said things like this repeatedly. He, he said, the Lord judge between you and me. There was a sense of deference that, you know what, I'm going to let the channels, the normal channels that God has ordained to work this out. And I'm not going to start using my lawyer or, or, or my kids or any other chip in this thing to try and get you back. You've hurt me now. I'm, I'm going to hurt you. And God says, uh, you know, what, anger is, is certainly a fertile ground for that kind of retaliation and retribution. And it's not to be. It is not God's solution, no matter how badly we've been hurt. Anger needs to be carefully governed. And the advice, the directive that's given in verse 26, if you'd keep reading, is the solution. If anger is not going to lead to sin, if anger is not going to be the breeding ground for, for the wrong response, then we need to not let the sun, notice this, go down while you're still angry. That's a poetic way of saying, don't stay mad very long. Don't stay angry. You see, the problem is if we let it stay there and reside in our heart, it degenerates quickly into a variety of other things that fuel all kinds of wrong responses. So get over it quickly. Get through it quickly. Now, I say that because there's a time for anger. When promises and vows are made till death do us part through sickness, you know, and in health and richer or poor, and now those covenant vows are trashed, there's a time to get mad. But you see, in that anger, don't sin. And if you want to make sure it doesn't become a breeding ground for sin in your life, be sure we work through this quickly. When I say work through it quickly, I'm not deferring to the, uh, you know, the therapeutical talk of the marketplace in our day. I'm talking about getting on our knees before God and saying, I have an emotion, a volatile emotion that I can't control on my own. And I need you to drain it out of my heart. I need you to take my anger away toward this person that's hurt me so badly. And I need it to go away quickly. It is a stage that needs to be short-lived. I put it this way in your outline. Number one, don't stay angry. You need to understand that when you have anger residing in your heart, it degenerates into things like bitterness and grudges that end up casting a cynical cloud on the rest of the world. It is, as Hebrews says, a bitterness that grows up in our heart that ends up defiling many people. And when it does, what it does is it ends up putting a hand out and stopping the flow of God's healing and restoration in your life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When you reside or let anger reside in your heart, you are actually involving yourself in a self-defeating emotion because that emotion will end up 
blocking. It will end up stymieing and thwarting God's uh, process of restoration. Let me show you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. As we leave Ephesians 4, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And let me show you why anger and the cynical grudges that are held in the heart of someone who's been deeply hurt can end up becoming so counterproductive that in their life they can't even move on. They can't even receive God's help. And that's the thing we need the most in the middle of a divorce. We need God's help. And though the context here is not divorce, you can see quickly uh, the analogous features of his concerns in verse number five to those that are going through divorce. Second Corinthians seven, verse five. He says, when we came to Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed, there's a good verb, harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. You can see how these words are akin to some of the things people go through in the midst of a, of a divorce. Great sentence coming up, verse six. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Stop right there. That is a great truth, isn't it? We have a God that comforts the downcast. And he comforted us, Paul said, when we were harassed and had conflicts on the outside and fears within, he fixed our problem. Now, that's a great hallmark religious platitude, but uh, you need to recognize the agency through which God gives that comfort. Look at the next phrase. He did it by, here's the agency, by the coming of Titus. He did it through a person. There was a real tangible person that God used to be the conduit, the avenue through which this comfort came. Verse 7, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern, so that my joy was greater than ever. Do you hear what he just said? He'd gone from a, a, a situation of harassment, conflicts, and fear, and now he's saying my joy was greater than ever. You know what would have stymied that whole thing? You know what would have stopped it, thwarted it? You know what would have shut it down? If Paul would have, because of the harassment and conflicts and fears, begun to do what a lot of people do in the midst of a divorce. They put their arm out and keep people out. They get cynical, they get bitter, they get frustrated, and God's trying to help them. And they picture going up on a rock, twisting their legs up, burning incense or something, and God's gonna somehow you know, mystically minister to them. And, and really what, what God would love to do is send his comfort, but his avenue, his frequently used avenue for comfort is, is people. And we can't get bitter and cynical at people just because one relationship ha has let us down. Just because one person has been found not trustworthy is no reason for us, as Scripture says, to let that experience defile my relationship with many people. And, and anger is really at the core of the, of the problem. Anger can also fuel, in the wake of a divorce, a kind of uh, comparison that is so unhealthy, ungodly, and, and so destructive to who we are. It was such a concern of God that he put it in the Big Ten. The, the, the 10th commandment, you know the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet, the scripture says, covet. Now think that one through, not covet. Do you know how he goes on to explain that? You shall not covet your neighbor's what? Wife, that's the first thing, the relationship. You know, that whole, well, look at, look at their relationship. Look at, look at their situation. Everybody's uh, family life is a whole lot more peaceful than mine. Uh, I, I couldn't land, you know, the, the faithful partner, but, but look at those people. They, and, and the Bible says that's just bad. It's this comparison that leads us into a state of, of frustration and discontentedness that, that, you know, our life is, is the worst one on the planet. We can't go there. Deal with anger. How do we deal with it? We go and talk about our childhood for endless hours? No. What we do is we go before God and we say, God, I got an emotion in my heart that's fueling a lot of sinful things. And like we didn't read, but we should have in verse 27 of Ephesians 4, it says, when we let this stuff reside, Satan gets a foothold. Satan will use it. Satan capitalizes on this residing undercurrent of anger in our heart because we've been so badly hurt. 
I'm recognizing that it's a hurtful situation when your marriage collapses. All I'm saying is God says get over the anger as quickly as possible. Move through it quick so that you can on the other side say, you know what, my hands are open. There's not that hostility. There's not that anger there. You know what, I'm not going to stay angry. That is a priority number one on the other side of a difficult divorce. Second thing that I think is so important, found in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with an issue so central to any personal and relational disaster in our life. Hebrews, by the way, is filled with Old Testament imagery. There's all kinds of, uh, of analogies of Old Testament uh, concepts that now are New Testament, New Covenant realities. One of them is uh, the constant referral to the priesthood. Uh, certainly Christ is our high priest, but in the Bible we're also referred to now in the New Covenant as, as, a, as a royal priesthood, all of us. The priests in the Old Testament had a special relationship with God. They were treated differently. When they were handing out the real estate in the book of Joshua, God turned to the, uh, to the priests, the Levitical priests, and he said, you don't get any real estate. Now that's a day I'm going to you know, raise my hand and protest. That it's not fair. It's not right. And the comeback that God gives the Levitical priests when everybody's getting their heritage, their, their, uh, you know, their, their family plot, is that God looks to the Levites and he says, you guys, you don't get a real estate inheritance because I, I'm your inheritance. I mean, a huge, like, trippy thought. I'm going to be all you need. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And you know what? It's, trust me. There's some kind of intimacy constantly referred to in the Levitical priesthood that sets them apart from everybody else in, in Old Testament Israel. And there were some other things that uh, was distinct about them. One I've referred to before, it's found in Exodus and Leviticus, don't need to turn there, but there was a, a, a constant uh, uh, ancient Near Eastern motif that showed when people hit bottom, when they completely had, had just hit bottom, their hearts were broken, they lost all hope. They would put dirt or ashes on their head and then they would do something to their clothes. What was it? They'd tear them, they'd rip them up. Well, in Exodus, in two places, they told that the priest, when he made his ephod, when he made his clothing that he was to wear, it was to be made with special seams so that he, it would be very, very difficult for him to tear his clothes. And then explicit instructions were given, particularly in Leviticus, where they were told, you should never tear your clothes. Don't ever get to that place. Don't show that kind of, of, of remorse. Because again, like with the real estate, you may feel like you've been deprived of something, but you know, I am ultimately uh, all you need. I'll be the sustaining factor. When everyone else is hitting bottom, putting dirt and, and tearing their clothes, you guys, because you have an intimate, real relationship with me, you know, I don't ever want you to get to that place. Matter of fact, because of my special presence in your life, it should never get there. And, and that's what I think uh, we've got the writer of Hebrews trying to uh, uh, encapsulate in this, this little verse in verse 5. Look at this. Such a powerful truth. Why was it that these guys never hit bottom? And why is it that in a new covenant, all of us as Christians, as New Testament priests were called, all of us are never to hit bottom? Because there's something different about us. Look, at the context here is money. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Okay, Coveting someone else's money, someone else's relationship, anything, whatever. Be content with what you have. And that may be your bank account's cleared out and your marriage has failed. Let's just put it in those terms, right? Be content. Why? How can I make it through that? How can I not lose heart? How can I not be totally depressed in all this? What's the text say? Because here's the truth you got to hang on to. Never, God has said, will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And there's something resonant about that from the old covenant that, that, that would put in parentheses after that. And that's ultimately enough. Ultimately, that's enough. So we can say with confidence that one truth can lead us out of our, our, our darkest day, our darkest domestic disaster, saying the Lord is my helper. Personally, God is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do to me.
there are some trying circumstances in the midst of a divorce. But I'm telling you, the Bible says if you've got God, not a Sunday relationship, not a church-going habit, but if you have a genuine relationship with God that was spawned by you dropping to your knees in repentance and faith, if you know what it is to have a real spiritual intimacy with the creator of the universe, the Bible says that is a time to cling to that so tightly. And when you do, you'll find out that will be enough. To what? To keep you from hitting bottom like other people do when everything in their life falls apart. When the bottom of their marriage drops out. There's a difference about those who are called in the New Testament royal priests. We've got a different kind of relationship with God. God is my helper. I, I won't be afraid of what man can do to me. As a matter of fact, when the bottom drops out and when everything is, is in disarray, uh, those are the times often when God shows how powerful his presence really is. The Apostle Paul made that clear when he had a medical problem. We're not sure what that was, but the medical problem was so bad that it says in 2 Corinthians 12, he said to God, take it away, take it away, take it away. What was he saying? Change my circumstances, change my circumstances, change my circumstances. And like a lot of failing marriages and those that have been through divorce, that's a prayer you prayed many times. Change my circumstances. Salvage this marriage. Make this work. And just like the Apostle Paul, some of you have been through that experience and God did not change the circumstances. They were not changed. There was not some major marital reform that took place. But God's response to Paul is one that should resonate with us. The scripture says that God says to Paul after saying, you know what, I'm not going to change the circumstances. All this is going to play itself out. But he says... My grace is what? Sufficient. There's something about this real relationship with me and you that will be sufficient. The favor of God will be sufficient for you. As a matter of fact, he adds this line. He says, it's my power that will be perfected in weakness. See, when you've hit bottom and everything in your life is in disarray and it's absolutely gone bad and the promises that were supposed to last a lifetime ended after 10 years, you know what? Just remember this. That's the time when your relationship with me and all the power and all the security and, and all that that provides in divine help, that's when it'll be clear. In his, his weakest moment, Paul said that's when God was the strongest. And then he says, therefore, I'm not going to sit there and constantly badmouth the bad that has happened to me. I'm not going to keep putting in this dark category. I'm going to say, you know what? Even through that, God showed how great he was. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a portion of a message titled, Slaying the Family Dragons. Now you can find Mike's full message as well as other resources for your family when you go to our website, focalpointradio.org. Facing truth can be painful, but it's often the first step toward restoration and recovery. When your eyes are open to the whole truth, that's when you'll see the fullness of God's provision for you every step of the way. And that's why Focal Point is here each day to reach, teach, and equip believers to help you get through the hard stuff. It's only possible because listeners like you are stepping up to provide the necessary financial support. Will you partner with us? To give, just call us at 888-320-5885, or you can also give online at focalpointradio.org. And when you give today, we'll say thanks by sending you a practical resource designed to anchor your marriage in God's Word right from the start. It's a book called Preparing for Marriage God's Way, a step-by-step -step guide for marriage success before and after the wedding, written by Wayne Mack. 
You and your spouse will learn God's expectations for marriage and His solutions for dealing with typical marriage conflicts. There are even three follow-up lessons for after the wedding to help you and your spouse reflect after the I do's. And we'd be glad to send you a copy when you give a gift of any amount to Focal Point. Call us at 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. You can also send your gift in the mail to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, here at Focal Point, we provide biblical answers to your questions. So if you have a question for Pastor Mike, please visit our website, focalpointradio.org, and click on the tab marked Ask Pastor Mike. From there, you'll be able to read other listeners' questions, and you'll see a form to submit your question to Pastor Mike. And who knows, you may even hear your question addressed on a future edition of Ask Pastor Mike. So keep listening. I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you back next time as we continue studying God's Word together right here on Focal Point. program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.